morning will be taken from Colossians chapter 3. Before we read that passage, I would like to give you just a quick uh, report from yesterday. We had our big clothing giveaway, uh, I think the second, maybe the third we've done this year. For those that braved the heat with us out there, uh, we appreciate your time, your efforts. We've had people throughout the week getting prepared for that. And we served... Um, from the count that that I was given, probably in the neighborhood of 125-130 families plus, uh, and then the, of course that translates probably to about three, 350 people. So it was a great success. We appreciate all the help from everyone here that uh, spent their time with us yesterday morning and through the past week preparing for that. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. Again, if you're a guest, we are so glad that you are here with us. We would love to get to know you. We would love to see you and meet you next week. This church is an amazing place to be. I've been overwhelmingly blessed to be with these kids over the summer. Some of them are some of my best friends now. And so I thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity for me to be here this summer. And the amount of love and hospitality that everybody in this church has given me and Leanne is just something that I want to thank you for. The past two months, I've learned and enjoyed so much more than I could have imagined. And I thank you for that, and I thank God for that as well. Again, we are so glad that you are here with us. Before we begin, let's go to God in prayer this morning. Dear God, we come before you this morning because we love you. As God's people, we are coming together to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another. And I pray that this morning, as we continue to worship you, that we can open up our hearts to your word. And that we can continue to keep our minds on you, focused in on you, and that we can kind of leave the, the distractions of the world behind us so that we can just focus on you, God. We thank you so much for sending your son to sacrifice his life for the forgiveness of our sins. I pray that as the school year continues um, and begins, I pray that you can be with us, be with our safety, and that we can continue to uh, just always be focusing on you, Lord. I thank you so much for this church congregation and the love that they show and, and the encouragement they, sh they show one another and the love they have for you. I pray that you um, never forget about them, that you can uh, always encourage them to continue that fire, continue that uh, heart for worship and heart for service and love for you, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. This morning, I want you to think about what you're focusing on. By that, I mean, what is something that you are concentrating all of your attention on? Right now, it could be something very simple, like where you're going to eat for lunch. I have my family here with me this morning, and so after service, I've got to focus on where am I going to take them for lunch. But typically, our focus is always on something much larger. You can put your focus on your family. You can put your focus on your friends, on your career, on your relationships, but the thing that you put your focus on occupies the entirety of your mind. And the thing that you put your focus on is the lens by which you see the world. 
I'm horrible at keeping my focus. And the people that know me know that. And that can be kind of annoying sometimes. Because sometimes when I'm supposed to be thinking about one thing, I'm scatterbrained and I'm zoning out. And I'm actually thinking about a completely different thing. And so if I'm not careful, I can catch myself putting my focus off of the things that are really important. And instead putting my focus on the things that maybe aren't as important. And so... Here's just a couple of things that I think we spend a lot of our time putting our focus on that maybe we shouldn't be focusing on these things for a whole lot of time. First, I think we spend a lot of our time putting our focus on anxieties, our worries, and the things that stress us out. I also think that we spend a lot of our time putting our focus on the worst in every situation. And we can become very pessimistic about life because we're focusing more on the negatives in our life than the good things in our life. We also focus on the past and we focus on what people think of us. And a lot of times we focus on ourselves, right? And we can become very selfish if we spend all of our time occupying these things in our mind. And so if we spend a whole lot of time focusing on these things and occupying these things in our mind, we are creating for ourselves a very difficult and very distracted life. If you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, this is what Paul says. He says, If you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul is saying here, change your focus. When you became a Christian, you were raised with Christ. You put off the old self. You were made into a new creation. You are set apart for something new, something better. And so don't focus on the things that you used to focus on. Focus on something new. Allow God to change your focus. And Paul tells us what we're supposed to be focusing on. He says to set your mind on things above. Focus on Christ. Focus on being a servant for him. Focus on being a disciple. But it's going to be really hard to focus on those things of being a disciple and being a servant unless we get rid of some distractions first. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 25 says, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet that you may always be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So in order to focus on Christ, we have to remove every distraction in our lives. It doesn't mean if it's fun. That doesn't mean if it's exciting. If it's something that's not necessarily wrong. We have to remove all of those distractions because if, we, if I don't remove those distractions in my life, I'm going to lose my focus. Because when I'm going to try to walk in a straight line toward Christ, I'm going to be swerving in different directions. And I'm not going to be able to follow Christ correctly because I'm losing my focus off of Him. And instead, I'm putting my focus on other things. And oftentimes, you know what those distractions are, right? Excuses. Excuses for not following Christ and following Christ productively. Because if we are not truly changed by Jesus, if we haven't allowed him to truly change us, then we're going to make excuses. But God, I'm a, I'm a bad speaker. Please don't use me. Use my brother Aaron. He's a lot better speaker. Use him. But God, I'm, I'm so busy. Please don't use me. Use Barry. Use Dustin. Please don't use me. But a heart that is truly changed by Jesus is going to say, here I am, God. I'm here. Use me. Here I am. Send me. When we put on Christ and we become a follower of, hers, of His, there is this overwhelming desire for discipleship. 
And there's this overwhelming desire to serve Him and to be productive by serving Him. There's this desire for productive Christianity. How important is productivity to you? And I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about productive Christianity. How important is that to you? Last summer, I worked at the Journeys Distribution Center in Lebanon, Tennessee. It was a warehouse job, and my job title was cart picker. And to this day, I have no clue what that means. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. But what I did know was that every day that I went into work, I would be given a cart. The cart would have 15 boxes on it, three rows, five boxes on each row. And I would take my scanner, I would scan the box, it would tell me what shoe to go to, I would scan the shoe, put the shoe in the box that it was supposed to go in, and then when all of the boxes were full, I would take the cart to the conveyor belt, put the boxes on the conveyor belt, get rid of the cart, start a new cart, do the same thing. All day, every day, that's all I did, all summer long. And it was very boring, very unmotivating. But the one thing about the job that made it all worth it was the bonus, right? You see, the scanner was able to track how fast you were working, how fast you were scanning each shoe. And so if you were working at about the pace that the warehouse expected you to work, you'd be working at 100%, you'd get no bonus. But for every percent that you worked over 100 uh, percent speed, then you would get about 20 cents bonus. And so if you were working at $18 an hour, but you were working at 120 percent speed, you'd be getting about $22 an hour as opposed to $18 an hour. Now that's a pretty good deal. The reason why the warehouse did this was to encourage productivity. The idea here was we as a warehouse want to get as much work done as possible. And so in order to achieve that, we are going to promise you this reward so that you work as hard as you can in order to receive that reward. And to the workers, this was a no-brainer, right? You have just promised me this reward, and so because of that, I'm going to work as hard as I can in order to receive that award. You have just encouraged me to be productive. And so in this warehouse, there was this atmosphere and this desire for productivity. Everybody was working hard because they thought that it was very important of what they were doing. As disciples, we've got to do the same thing. We've got to put our focus on productivity. We've got to put our focus on working hard. Because God has promised us a reward. We just have to be motivated to work hard enough to receive that. When I think of an example of productivity, my mind immediately goes to Paul. He was the king of productivity. You have to think about all of the missionary journeys that he went on, the 13 epistles that he wrote, the Gentiles that he reached out to, that he ministered to, all the people that he evangelized to. He was very productive. He always focused on hard-working discipleship. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles... And not fit to even be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. So right here, Paul has taken some time to acknowledge his past. And he looks back and he remembers how lost he was without Christ. And he says, I don't deserve this. Look at all the things that I've done. He literally persecuted Christians. He put them in prison and he allowed people to beat them. His focus was completely displaced into something that he should not have been focusing on. And so he says, look at what I've done. I don't deserve to be an apostle. I'm not worthy to even be here. But look at what he says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I wouldn't be where I'm at without God. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for His grace. And so I look back at my life, and I look at the things that I've done, and I look at how lost I was without Him, 
and it motivates me to change my future and to do something different. Well, what was Paul motivated to do then? Let's look back at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, all of the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. When we remember how lost we were without God, and we understand the power of His grace, then we're going to be motivated to do something. We're, wanting, we're going to want to go to work and do something with God's grace instead of taking God's grace and doing nothing with it and being lazy with it. Paul says that as soon as I received the grace of God, I went to work. I was more productive than all of the apostles. We've got to do the same thing. I hate comparing Christianity to a job because I don't want us to see Christianity as a burden. But sometimes I think we take the opposite extreme. And instead of seeing Christianity as a job, I think sometimes we see Christianity as a hobby. As this extra thing that we do on Sundays and Wednesdays. When we have a true relationship with God, that relationship can't be extra. That relationship with God, that attitude of serving Him, is our focus. That is the main thing in our life, not just some extra thing that we do. So what does it look like to focus on productivity. What does that kind of life look like? Turn to Acts the 14th chapter. In the beginning of Acts the 14th chapter, Paul is with Barnabas and several other disciples and they make their way to Iconium. And when they first get there, when they first get to Iconium, the very first thing that they do, they immediately go to the synagogue there and they preach. And so the first thing that we have to recognize here before we get any further into the story is that Paul's primary purpose, wherever he was, whoever he was talking to, was to preach. Was he preaching in the pulpit? No. In fact, the word used here means to proclaim, to announce, to say out loud. And so the reason I say that is because sometimes when we're told that we have to preach, that can be kind of a scary thing. Well, I don't want to get in front of a large group of people. I don't want to have to make a big lesson and, and deliver it every Sunday and Wednesday. Well, you don't necessarily have to. But if we want to spend our time like Paul spent his time, productively and focused on Christ, then we're going to preach. We're going to have the desire to talk to people about Jesus. And I'm not saying that I'm good at that because I'm not. I think that it's really uncomfortable when I try to think about talking to somebody about Jesus. That's really uncomfortable for me. But my Christianity is not about how comfortable I am. It's not focused on me. It's not focused on how comfortable I am, what I want to do. It's focused on doing what Christ commands me to do, whether I want to do it or not. Matthew 28 is a command. Go therefore and make disciples, whether you want to or not. But if you truly don't want to talk to people about Jesus, figure out where you stand in your relationship with God. If you are truly like, I refuse to talk about Jesus, there needs to be a relationship change. There needs to be a change in how you treat God. Because if we truly love Jesus, we're going to talk about Him. We talk about the things that we love. And so we truly love Jesus, we're going to talk about Him. We're going to preach about Him. And so, anyway... This is how Paul's spending his time. He's preaching in the synagogue. He's talking to the Gentiles and to the Jews there. And a lot of people believe him. And a lot of people also reject him. And so the Jews get a crowd together and they try to kill the disciples. Well, the disciples hear about this. And so they leave the city. They leave Iconium. And they make their way to Lystra. And again, like Paul always did, as soon as they got to Lystra, he preached. 
And while he was preaching, he saw into the crowd that there was a man sitting down, and he was crippled. And he hadn't been able to walk a single day in his life. And he looks at this man and, he's, and he stops everything that he's doing. He stops talking and he looks at this man and he says, get up. And the man stands up and he walks away and he's healed. You see, even while Paul was preaching and talking to people about Jesus, he never forgot to serve people. He never forgot to see a soul that was struggling, that was hurting, that was sick. He never forgot to see that person and to serve them and to love them. Now, after he does this, after he heals this man, the crowd kind of has a weird response. Instead of praising God, instead of wondering how Paul was able to do this amazing thing to this guy that had been crippled his whole life, instead of praising God or or wondering how he was able to do this, they started worshiping him. They started calling them gods. gods. They said that Paul was Hermes and they said that Barnabas was Zeus. And they started offering sacrifices before them, and they were worshiping him, and, God, and Paul gets really mad. And so he rips off his clothes, and he's saying, what are y'all doing? We're not gods. Don't worship us. But let me tell you about the one true God. Let me tell you about the one true God. You see, this could have been a time where Paul and Barnabas kind of get a little bit arrogant, take in and accept a, a little bit of the praise, But instead, they take this time and they put the praise back on God instead of taking in the praise themselves. And so, they were humble. Well, the people didn't like this very much. They didn't like that they rejected his praise. And so, what they did was they stoned Paul. And they beat him up so badly that they thought he was dead. And they drug what they thought was his lifeless body out of the city and they laid him there. And what I see in verse 20 is kind of comical to me. Because this is what it says in verse 20 of chapter 14. It says, But the disciples gathered around him. He rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Like, Paul, you just got beaten half to death. Like, literally, they thought you were dead. And you just get up and keep going and start preaching again. Like, how do you do that? Sometimes we're in the middle of doing the Lord's work. Things can go horribly wrong. And in those moments, we think that the easiest thing is to give up and to quit and to stop whatever we're doing. This could have been a perfect opportunity for Paul to be like, you know what, I'm done with this. I just wanted to preach to y'all about Jesus and y'all are here trying to kill me. Like, I'm over this. I quit. But instead, he keeps going. Whenever these horrible things are happening to us and they're not going as we plan, we've got to keep our focus on Christ. I'm going to keep saying that. Because when our focus is on Christ and we remember why we're there in the first place, we're going to be able to keep going. And we're going to be able to persevere through that. And so, that's the story that we're talking about this morning. And if we take this whole story in its entirety, we see that Paul took advantage of every situation he was given. No matter where he was at, no matter who he was talking to, whether or not they were trying to worship him, whether they were trying to kill him, he took advantage of every opportunity to serve them and to serve God and put them first and put God first because Christ was on his focus. And so, if we go back to the question that I asked earlier, what does productive Christianity look like? Well, first, productive Christianity preaches. It preaches. It has the desire to talk to people about Jesus because we love Jesus so much that we want to talk to people about him. Second, productive Christianity serves It finds time in our busy schedule to see someone that's struggling, that's hurting, and serve them. Third, productive Christianity is humble. 
It always finds time to put the praise back on God instead of accepting praise for ourselves. And lastly, productive Christianity perseveres. It keeps going. Now, it's kind of hard to apply this last bit because we really don't suffer abusive persecution like they used to in the, um, in the New Testament church. We don't really go through that. But I do think that we still face emotional and mental persecution every day. <clears throat> I still think we face mental and emotional persecution because there's going to be people in your life that are going to try to distract you from serving Christ. They're going to try to do whatever they can do to distract you. And here's just a couple of things that I think people do to try to distract us from serving Christ productively. First is try to cause division. It is impossible for a church to get any good work done when it's divided. When a church is focused in on conflict and hurting each other, and they're divided and they're separate, then no good work is going to be done. This is why Paul spends so much time talking about unity, of being unified in the church just like Jesus is unified with God. Second, I think people try to distract us through lies. People say that, people may say that the promise of heaven isn't worth it. They may say that you don't deserve the promise of heaven. They may say, why are you trying to serve Christ? I know what you've done. I know what you did in your, in your past. You're not going to receive heaven. If somebody ever tells you that lie, it's just that. It's a lie. So don't listen to that. Don't let those lies that people tell you distract you from the truth of Christ. Last, I think, is um, a reason why I think that people distract us, a way that I think people distract us from serving Christ is through judgment. Sometimes we get a little embarrassed of this whole Christian thing. And so we don't preach and we don't serve people and we don't try to act different because we don't want people to judge us. And the reason I say all of that is because I think that one of the biggest things that distracts us is based on, is determined by who we're trying to please. Because if I'm trying to please people, no good work is going to get done. Bad things are, happen, are going to happen if I'm trying to please people. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes a letter to the church of Galatia. And what's happening there is that the Christians in Galatia are changing the gospel. They're changing the gospel so that the people there will accept it. So that the gospel isn't offensive anyway. And that the gospel is easy and convenient. And so they're changing the gospel. And Paul, of course, gets furious by this. And so he writes them this in chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Am I striving to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. As servants of Christ, our goal is not to be liked. I figured out that when my relationship with Jesus is tight, and I'm closer with Jesus than I am to anybody else, that's the key. If I'm closer to Jesus than anybody else in this life, if I'm closer to Jesus, then I'm not going to concern myself with the opinions of people. Because I'm not going to care as much what they say compared to what God says. I care way more about what Christ says about me than what people say about me. And so I'm not motivated by people and their opinions and their judgment. I'm motivated by the grace of God. I'm motivated by His grace. And so... Because of His grace, because of that gift, because of that promise of heaven, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be productive. 
I'm going to do everything I can to preach and to serve. And through all of that, I'm going to try to be humble and I'm going to try to uh, persevere through any persecution that comes my way because I'm focused in on Christ and I'm motivated by His grace. Maybe this morning you haven't received God's grace and you want to begin your journey with God. Maybe you want want some people to study with you to talk about baptism. We would love to study with you. Maybe there's something that's going on in your life that you're struggling with that you need prayers for. We would love to pray for you in that way. And maybe you used to focus on Christ. That used to be your focus, but your focus has changed. And you start putting your focus on things of the world instead of things that are above. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.